You all may be seated. You know, we are, uh, my name is Luke. I'm a member here at Renewal Church of Chicago. Uh, me and my family, we've been a part of uh, Renewal Church since the very beginning, since it was Taco Tuesday in Derek and Kaylee's basement. It was great. And here we are. We're, we're a church that's grown. We're two and a half years old or so. I don't normally do the preaching and teaching. Occasionally I do. This summer we're given our uh, lead pastor, Pastor Derek Puckett, we're giving him a little bit more wiggle room, a little more breathing room. We want to take good care of him, not wait for burnout and respond to that. We, wanna, we want him and his family to be healthy. And so we're hearing from a number of different voices this summer. Pastor D, you can pray for him. He is traveling in Nashville right now. Nashville, right? All right. I was like, man, maybe I got that wrong. He's in Nashville. So uh, you can be thinking about him and praying for him in his travels. Um, We are in the middle of a series, uh, actually near the end of a series on Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. Um, He was not only one of the 12 disciples, he was one of the three. In other words, he was very close in friendship to Jesus. And we're looking at this arc in Peter's life, not looking at every event in Peter's life exhaustively, but just a few key events in Peter's life and looking at how they relate actually to the core values of Renewal Church of Chicago, those values that Tony had you guys mention to him during the welcome, right? Do you remember that? Yes, it was awesome. And those, those values of renewing hearts through the gospel, right? So somebody's eyes are opened and they, they begin to perceive who Jesus is. That happened with Peter in, in the, on the stormy sea. He began to perceive Jesus not just as a cool guy but as deity. And then Peter, he was, he was called by Jesus and, he, and Jesus said, gave him a warning. Listen, Peter, this is who you are. You need to be aware. Crisis is at hand. Peter needed to have his eyes opened to who he was. Peter needed to be rebuilt, right? And today, we're looking at Peter released and the other disciples. This, this pattern, this Christian pattern of coming into knowledge of who Jesus is, thanking him and, being, and marveling at, at what he's done for us, and then in turn being released to carry that message to others, right? That's what we've been looking at. And I can't think of a better way to continue than just to read the Bible. Does that sound good, right? Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to stand. We're in Acts 1. Acts chapter 1. Uh, when you've got it, you can stand if you're able. Um, Acts chapter 1. So just by way of kind of preface, Acts is the second in a volume, in two volumes, right? So the historian and physician Luke, he wrote Luke. We looked at that last week. This was a brief history of the life of Jesus. And then we have Acts, which is a brief history in the life of the church, of the first churches in the world, okay? So this is volume 2, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. You ready? You got it on your app? Got it in your paper Bible? You got it on the screen? Yes, okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, that's Luke, O Theophilus. This is a friend of Luke. He, He addresses both books to Theophilus. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And when they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You all may be seated. This is a great passage. There's a lot here, right? This happens often at Renewal. We, we, We walk through the Bible, we look at what the Bible says, and frankly, there's too much to cover in one teaching series. So what we're going to do today is we're, we're going to look primarily at Jesus' mission because we learn three key things about Jesus' purpose and mission. We learn those in this passage. And we're going to do this with Peter in mind. Remember, Peter is standing here with the disciples, at least with, with uh, the 12 minus Judas. He's with the disciples and perhaps with more, with 40, there, there were 40 that also followed, and there were up to 500 who, were, who had seen Jesus after he rose again, right? So at least that intimate group of 11 or 12 and perhaps more, right? So he's with Jesus. These are Jesus' final words. They're recorded in some way very, at various times in the Bible. Why? Because this, these words have weight. Imagine, it's something kind of like the commencement address at a graduation, right? These final words, this is the last thing the university says before they send you out. These are the last words that Jesus says. He knows that he is, he's about to ascend to the Father. And so what does he say? These words have gravity for the disciples, and they have gravity for anyone today who calls himself or herself a disciple. Do you see? So we're going we're gonna to ask the question, what do these words tell us about Jesus' mission, about Jesus' purpose? We're going to see three things. We're going to see the scale of Jesus' mission. We're going to see the scope of Jesus' mission. And we're going to see the method of Jesus' mission. Okay? Scale, scope, method. It's all here. The, the, the scale, actually, we've already looked at a lot in Peter's life. If you've, if you've followed along with us over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how Jesus really radically reached into, into Peter's life and met Peter exactly where he was. There's this, there's this human scale about Jesus' mission. It's really remarkable. Consider it for a moment. The intimate scale of Jesus' mission. That he would concern himself, like, like we looked at last week, he would concern himself in the moment of, the most trying moment of his life with Peter's well-being. That he would consider what Peter must be experiencing when he himself was being tried and crucified, right? We've looked at this with Peter, but this happens with a number of people, that that Jesus, while he's hanging on the cross, he's concerning himself with Mary and making sure that she's going to be taken care of by John, right? There's There's this really tiny, minute, human, intimate, personal scale to Jesus's mission. This, this intimate knowledge that he has of the individual, that he's going out of his way to meet the individual where they are. Jesus' mission is remarkable. And this this same scale we we see today, we see how Jesus meets somebody where they are, he met Peter where Peter was, he he opened Peter's eyes to, to his deity when he called Peter out to walk on the sea. If you didn't hear it, you can listen on our podcast. He called Peter out to walk on the sea and Peter's eyes were open to Jesus' deity. And Jesus gives Peter a warning. That's what we looked at last week. And he opened Peter's eyes to, Jesus, or to Peter's own shortcomings, right? Just this last week, 
uh, actually, just exactly a week ago, um, there was a letter written by a CEO from a, a former CEO of a tech firm. Actually, in, in the tech world, if you've read the news, there's, there's been kind of a swell and a wave of sexual harassment cases and, and uh, subsequent resignations from founders and from CEOs. This is one of those. This guy's name is Dave McClure. Um, he wrote, after his resignation, because of sexual harassment um, charges, he wrote this letter. It's an open letter. It's posted on Medium. You can read the whole thing, and it's really remarkable. And this is an excerpt from that letter. He says, When confronted about what happened with these women, I was at first defensive. What did I do wrong? We were just hanging out. Why are, so, why are people so upset? I tried to present my poor behavior in the best possible light. I didn't have much empathy for the people I hurt and offended, and rather than face up to my own shallow motivations, I rationalized my actions and came up with reasons to find blame in others rather than solely with me. Have you ever heard a CEO talk like this? This is amazing. And then he says this, after several tough conversations, I realized that, guess what? I was the problem. I wasn't so full of goodness and light as I had thought. Amazing. This, this realization, this confrontation uh, uh, of Mr. McClure confronting who he really is, is step one in understanding the gospel of Jesus. This is what Jesus did, gave to Peter in a crisis last week. He, 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 he had Peter confront the reality that, that Peter's not the hero of the story. He's not so full of goodness and light as he had thought. Peter needed to confront, as McClure says later in the letter, he needed to confront the stranger looking back at him in the mirror. He's somebody different. Peter's not the hero. Peter needs the hero. Right? Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't save Jesus. Jesus saves Peter. This scale is so remarkable to me. And if you have experienced, if you have encountered Jesus, then I would say it's probably remarkable for you too. That Jesus knows who you are, that he recognizes your shortcomings, your failings, your needs, your necessities, and that's where he, in, that's where he encounters you. That's exactly, those are exactly the pressure points where he enters in, and he says, of course you can't, but I can. The scale of, of Jesus' mission, this, this personal, human, intimate quality is magnificent. But that's not all. There's also the scope. Now, the disciples at this time, this is really amazing. Um, at this time, they're, they're, they're coming along, right? Most of them now believe. We've, we learned that in some other passages. They're, they're believing, like, this is the Son of God. And he rose again from the dead. Here in the passage that we just read, Luke, the historian, he says that Jesus was with them for 40 days after his resurrection and, quote, offered them many proofs of his resurrection. These were skeptical people, right? Don't think, uh, ancient people, they're all just kind of dumb. Of course they would believe in Jesus. No, no, no. These were skeptical people. None of them were at the grave on the third day thinking Jesus would rise again, even though Jesus plainly said he would raise again on the third day, right? None of them were there. They were all skeptical. Jesus walked with them and talked with them and ate with them for 40 days offering proofs, and it brought them in. It drew them into belief and who he was. He actually is God, and he actually conquered death, right? And then the, the disciples, with this new belief, what do they do? They turn to Jesus, 
Jesus says, wait here in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit of God will come upon you. And what are the disciples' response? This is amazing to me. It shouldn't be amazing because I know myself kind of, but it's amazing. They turn to Jesus and they say, now will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Their view of the scope of Jesus' mission is way too small. Way too small. You know, Peter's view initially of Jesus was way too low. He needed to see Jesus walk on stormy seas to raise his view. Peter's original view of himself was way too high. He needed to be knocked down and rebuilt to see who he really was. And here, Peter's view of Jesus' mission, the scope of it, is way too small. It's not for Israel. It's for everything. It's for everyone. It's for all time. It's not one geopolitical kingdom in the first century. Give me a break. This is Jesus. This is God himself. This is the creator, the almighty God for every ethnicity and language and tribe and tongue and people and gender for all time, past, present, and future. This is Jesus. This is God. And, and, he, and he says, no, the scope is everyone. There is no one outside of the scope of my great mission. Did you notice that? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and everywhere else. There are no limitations. Jesus' mission is not bound by anything. Every race, every, every kind of person, every person with every kind of background can believe and trust in Jesus. It's amazing. This intimate scale, this personal knowledge of who you are, and yet at the same time, this infinite scope, intimate scale, infinite scope in the same person. This is Jesus. He, he turns to his disciples and he opens their eyes. Your view of my mission is too small, he says. It is much, 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 infinitely so larger. It is for everyone. This is one of those things that for me, here at Renewal Church, we've got a lot to learn, right? We do. We're still very much in process. But on this note of the gospel is for everyone, for all kinds of people, we're approaching something very good here. And it makes me proud to be a part of this church. That I can come in a, in a church of 150 or so. We're not like huge. And still, even with, with just that number of people, I can be with people of different, different generations and people of different backgrounds and people of different races and even things like culture and language backgrounds. And we all are bound together by this singular mission of the Almighty God. This scope, you will be my witnesses. And Jesus names It'd be fun to spend some time here. He's so explicit with his language. He names Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. These are concentric circles. They're in, they're in Jerusalem when Jesus is talking to them, and then he's like, and Judea, and Samaria, and, the, and to the ends of the earth. But they're also, this is also a jab at, at the disciples' small view. He's, he names Jerusalem and Judea, and the disciples are probably sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, sure, of course, yes, it's restore Israel, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he names Samaria, the untouchable cast. And then he names to the ends of the earth, all of the pagan kingdoms out there. The scope of his mission is infinite. It is in every direction for all of time and for all of people. One um, pastor put it this way. He said, when somebody discovers, as Peter did, 
When somebody discovers who Jesus is, it's like discovering that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let me say it again. We are more flawed and sinful in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This mission is for everyone. Its scope knows no bounds. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the right pedigree or have the right job or failed in school or married the right person. It doesn't matter. It's for everyone. This scope is infinite. It is extensive. And at the same time, it is personal. And Jesus knows who you are. He knows what you need. (laughs) Who is this guy? Human scale, epic scope. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he goes on, and we learn a third thing about his mission. We learn about the method, or maybe it'd be better put like the means, the, the conduit of Jesus' mission. Did you notice this? This is amazing. The very first verse that we read, Luke the historian, he's kind of linking his two volumes together, right? And he, he, he addresses Theophilus again, and he says, in the first book, look at verse one again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Consider this. What does he mean, all that Jesus began to do and teach? His other book ends with the end of Jesus' ministry. What does he mean, began to do and teach? Jesus died and rose again and is ascending into heaven in this next paragraph. What does he mean, began to do and teach? He's offering a strong hint. The book of Acts, the church, the Holy Spirit through the church continues all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do you see? Jesus' work of doing and teaching continues on, but it is something different. It is something radical now. The method, the mission is the same. The method has changed. Jesus was incarnate on earth in the flesh, took on, as, as Pastor Derek likes to say, put on a human suit. And, and, and he was on earth, and he actually told his disciples in another passage, he was so explicit with them, he said, listen, it is better for you that I leave, that the Holy Spirit might come. Why? Because this exponentially changes the method of his mission. The, the good work in teaching that he began continues on out through his people, through his church. It is, it's, it's Jesus' work. It's still Jesus' work. It's just now through his spirit, through his people, to the ends of the earth. Isn't this magnificent? Perhaps, perhaps, I don't know. I could imagine that some of us in this room, maybe you or somebody that these last couple of weeks you've thought, this is great. This is interesting. I like this whole story of Peter, right? But what about doing the right thing? It can't actually be that Jesus just continuously loves Peter and accepts Peter and calls in Peter regardless of Peter's profound failures over and over and over again. It can't just only be that. What about ethics? What about justice? What about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? What about those kinds of things? right? Perhaps you've been somebody that that has thought that. What about our behavior? 
It can't really be that Jesus just calls you and accepts you where you are. And I'm here to tell you that, yes, it can be that way, right? And, and if you're concerned about behavior, then here it is. Jesus calls and accepts and gives somebody reward, and then he sends them out to proclaim that reward and acceptance. Do you see? Every philosophy in this world, I mean, I, I look, I have looked, travel the world and look, and you will find that every philosophy, every framework, every way of perceiving how human life works, if, if you can strip away all the la- layers, every religion, eventually down at the base, it goes something like this. Obey, become accepted. All of it, 100%. Obey, get the reward. And Jesus comes along, and it's totally otherworldly, it's totally alien, it's totally foreign, and he says, you are accepted. Now go obey. Do you see? You, here's the reward. Everything that I have is yours. It's not a little reward, it's infinite, and it came at infinite cost to him. Here it is, it is yours. Now go obey, live differently. It is something so, so utterly other that I must say, objectively, this is from God. No one else, no other philosopher or thinker has, has, has developed a way of life like this. This is, this is Jesus. You are accepted. Now go and obey. And that obedience, part of that obedience is what we see here. This new method of proclaiming Jesus' great mission out in the world is His Holy Spirit who comes on in power to anyone who believes in Jesus' name and sends them out. Peter is released. Do you see? The disciples are released for new, <laughs> new mission. It's Peter and the disciples don't go out courageously and generously to the nations because they're proving themselves to Jesus. Peter and the disciples go out courageously and generously to the nations because Jesus has proven himself to them. Do you see? This isn't religion, this is something else. This is Christianity, this is the good news. Peter and the disciples don't go out courageously and generously and self-sacrificially to the nations because they're proving themselves to Jesus. They go out because Jesus has proven himself to them. Jesus' ethics, Jesus' his, his, his standards, they, we know them to be totally trustworthy because Jesus has done nothing else but demonstrate himself to be totally trustworthy. If he says, this is the way to live, then I say, yes, of course it must be because he has given everything for me. He has withheld nothing from me. He must know the best way for me to live. This is Jesus' plan. This is Jesus' mission. This intimate scale, this personal scope, this infinite scale and scope and this infinite Scope out to all the nations in every place and every time and calling me, welcoming me, welcoming you, perhaps, into his mission. It's awesome. It's awesome. Jesus welcoming ordinary people, saying, I, my Holy Spirit, needs a dwelling place. How about you? What? My infinite scope of mission needs a method. How about you?
Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it convicting if you are, if you call yourself a Christian? It is to me. It should be. I should, I should take a step back. I should stagger a bit and marvel at this Jesus, at this God who has done all of this for me. Now, here's, here's the thing. I, there's this risk that people like me, like, people like Derek, we, we run a lot. I'm letting you see behind the curtain, okay? Something that we risk is like people walking away thinking, oh, that was, a, that was an interesting talk. Oh, I like the way he constructed those points, right? Nothing would be more devastating than for you to walk away only with that. This is real. This, this is a consequence of what Jesus was telling the disciples in the first century. Here we are 2,000 years later and half a world away speaking in a different language and in a different culture and in a different place and we're talking about this. That is evidence. We right now, we are flesh and blood evidence that this is the real thing. Peter and the disciples, they went out empowered by the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed Jesus' goodness and his death and resurrection and why it matters. And here we are. It's real. I, I, I can't over-explain it. it Peter, um, this is so wonderful. Remember Peter whenever Jesus was walking on the sea, on the stormy sea, and the disciples were rightly terrified and they're, they're like, what the heck is that thing? It must be a ghost. Who was it that stepped forward? It was Peter. And he said, if that's you, call me out on the sea. Remember? And Jesus called him, and Peter went. Now, it was Peter that stepped up first, and he did it clumsily, and he wound up doubting, sure, whatever, but Peter stepped up. And then later, when, when Jesus is speaking of his own crucifixion and the crisis that is at hand, it was Peter, right? It was Peter of all of the disciples who stepped forward and said, don't worry, Jesus, I'm right here beside you. I, I would die for you. I would, I would go to prison for you. Now, Peter was wrong, but Peter stepped up, right? Now, listen, here we are in Acts 1. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, after Jesus' ascension, the disciples are confronted for the first time by people of many tribes and tongues and nations because they are all gathering together for a festival called Pentecost and they are, they are there and they are confronted about Jesus' identity and guess who steps up? Peter. Only this time he doesn't doubt. Only this time he doesn't stumble. Only this time he's not wrong about himself. This time he steps forward with the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.14. This is so wonderful. I think we have it for the screen. Acts 2.14, it is Peter who steps forward, says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And Peter from there continues with a sermon that is so powerful and so profound that at the end of it, Thousands of people raise their hands and they say, what must we do? Who is this God? And to that very day, thousands were added to the church's number. This is real. Peter was actually, actually moved into belief about Jesus' deity, moved into understanding about his own necessity, and moved into power by the Holy Spirit. 
actually happened, and here we are today. The intimate scale, the infinite scope, the welcoming method, inviting anyone who believes, anyone who has been saved, participates in the salvation project. In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, in your neighborhood, throughout the city of Chicago, throughout the messed up state of Illinois, through the whole country, and throughout the world. That's what we do. This mission is personal, it is powerful, and it is participatory.